good to see each of you here today. Thank you for being at Tracks this morning at uh, 9.30. We'll be teaching on apostolic doctrine, and we've had a great, great few weeks of learning a few things. So uh, before I get started, I want to, uh, I made a last minute decision to come down on the floor, so I hope this is okay. Uh, but I wanted to kind of give you a heads up on what's going to be happening, what we're talking about, looking forward to in 2024. Can you believe that we are at the end of October in 2023, and you've only got, I don't know, what is it? You've only got about 10 weeks to Christmas shop right now. That's all you got. So that's me helping you out. You just got a few weeks left. Uh, but it's hard to believe that like we're already at the end of this. So we are making plans for 2024 and some things. We've got a lot of great things happening. Tracks are going to look a little bit different in 24. And we're going to do some things that hopefully spark and go to different age groups and to different people. And uh, how many of you are thankful for a, for a church that can be flexible? And we think, we think tracks are good and they help, but we also want to always be improving. So we're going to do our best in 24. We've got some exciting things that are going to take place. Now, let me uh, kind of begin today's class by recapping what we've already done, what's happened the last couple of weeks. And maybe you've got to make some of the classes. Maybe this is your first time to make the, this Apostolic Doctrine class. And then I'll tell you a little bit about what we're going to go do moving forward, too. But in week one, Pastor Gaddy taught this class on the second week of October, October the 8th, he taught this class on the oneness of God. Apostolics believe that God is one. We believe that Jesus is God. Now, I heard this amazing story um, yesterday. I was at a church growth conference in Mississippi, and I heard this amazing story about how they were doing, um, in Fort Smith, they were doing outreach, and they were doing door knocking, and they were going to these places, and they knocked on the door and this lady answered the door, and she, they said, hey, you know, we just want to invite you to our church. We hope, you know, we hope you come visit us sometime. Here's a card. Here's some information. And that was the extent of it. Well, the lady looked back and said, well, I'm not a Christian. And they said, well, okay, that's fine. You know, we just, anytime you want to come, we're here. We're just, you're happy to worship with us. And she said, no, you don't understand. I'm not a Christian. I'm a witch. And so they were, they were like, okay, doesn't make any difference to us. And, and they were like, well, you know, you're still welcome to come to our church. And she said, well, I'm not, I wouldn't go to a church that believes in three gods. And they were like, well, that's funny you should say that. We don't believe that. We believe that Jesus is God. And they had this exchange and she, the lady actually ended up calling the church later and saying, I had these people come to the door and they said this, and I just need to make sure they weren't mistaken. And they explained, no ma'am, we believe that Jesus is God. We believe in the oneness of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They believe in, we believe in one. Apostolics believe in the oneness of God. When the term son, as in son of God, is ever used in scripture, you can insert the word flesh. Jesus was manifested in the flesh. God was manifested in the flesh. Jesus is his name. And that, because of the very essence of God, that he is invisible, no man has seen God at any time. 
He's chosen to show himself in many manifestations, natural, supernatural, father, son, spirit, but he is still one. And that is a core, actually, I'll put it this way, that is probably the beginning, the foundation of apostolic doctrine. And to be even more honest with you, that's going to be a distinguishing factor of the church moving forward. That we preach and believe that hero Israel, the Lord, our God is one. What's funny about that, uh, uh, that story about the witch and, and all those things, they, uh, one of the ladies actually said, uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard that scripture before. She was explaining she didn't believe in three, the witch was explaining she didn't believe in three gods. And, and that's the, the person said, you know, that's funny. I've read that somewhere. If thou, the, the devils believe that there's one Lord. Just quoted that scripture back to him. So the oneness of God is a foundational separating doctrine for apostolics. Last week in here, Pastor Larry talked about sin and faith and repentance. And sin is what humanity has struggled with from the beginning. Sin is missing the mark or failing to attain the goal for what God has for a person's life. The goal is to measure up to the image of God to keep his commandments, to treat God and others the way that he plans. So um, Pastor Larry talked about sin and defined it what it is. And then he talked about faith, because if you're going to come out of sin, you have to believe that there is a way out of sin, that there is an answer for sin. So he talked last week about faith, uh, grace and faith, God's unmerited favor, and man's positive response to the grace of God. That's faith, when man has a positive response to the grace that's being offered. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is believing and having the confidence that God has made a way for us. That is, that is faith. So when you recognize sin and then faith arises, then the immediate response is repentance, to turn. When you read the book of Isaiah, you read the first few chapters of the book, you have this whole thing of of Woe is this, and he's looking, at, he's looking at the world, he's looking at wickedness, and he's looking at the problems. And he says over and over again, Isaiah will say, woe to this or woe to that. Well, when he sees the Lord high and lifted up, he says immediately he'll say, woe is me. Because any time that you see the holiness of God, then you start to see the unholiness of yourself. And so repentance is the natural response for a human being to turn from their ways because of the faith that they have and follow after God. Repentance is an act of faith because of God's grace to ask him to forgive you in return. Now the Bible teaches that repentance is a daily thing. You've got to die daily. It's not a one-time act, but it's an ongoing act because you live in this thing called You can go ahead and pinch your your skin. Don't do it hard. Don't hurt yourself, but pinch your skin. That's called flesh. And your flesh wants to do things contrary to the word of God and the spirit of God. In fact, Galatians teaches that the flesh is at war with the spirit. So you're always going to be battling the flesh. But what you have to do is submit yourself, crucify your flesh with its passions and desires. You want to get cleansed of all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. So that's repentance. We practice that. So as we continue to learn apostolic doctrine, our faith doesn't end at repentance, but there is more doctrine to understand in the Word of God. Now, if you have a Bible, we're going to go there a lot, and I don't have a lot of time, and 
it's hard to strike the balance when you teach a subject like this of how do you, uh, how do you cover it all and yet cover all the angles and things that are needed. So I'm going to do my best. We're going to cover a lot of scripture, and I'm going to do my best to cover a, a wide range on this topic. But let's read together Romans chapter number 1, verse number 16. You're going to go to Romans 1. And then if you can, if you have one of those, uh, who was it that called it a stringy dealy, whatever it is? Uh, it's what? Oh, the thing of Dilos. I thought you were just talking in tongues, but that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Romans 1, 16, and then you're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15. Romans 1, 16, 1 Corinthians 15. For I am not ashamed, this is Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So the gospel is what saves you. It is your obedience, your understanding, your obedience and walking out and living out the gospel that is what saves you. That brings, that's the power of God unto salvation. So what is the gospel? It pins the question. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 clearly defines what the gospel is. It says, moreover, brethren, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you have also received, and wherein ye stand, by which you are also, you see that word, saved. You're saved by the gospel. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins, according to scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So according to 1 Corinthians 15, that clearly defines the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died, he was buried... And then he rose again. That is the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. Thank goodness that Paul defined it and gave it to us in Corinthians. So the question is, if that's the gospel, then what do we do with the gospel? If the gospel leads to salvation, the death, the burial, the resurrection, then how do we live that out? What do we do? Well, I'm not the first person to ask that question. Because if you look back in the book of Acts, chapter number 2, there was the same a group of people that heard, there were a group of people that heard a message being preached unto them, and they asked the same question. So, what do we do with what we've just heard, with this Jesus that we've just heard about? Acts chapter number two. And if you've been around an apostolic church for any length of time, you have heard this verses read. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They looked at him and said, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter said three things, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He told them that as to obey the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection, that you had to repent and be baptized and then receive the Holy Ghost. That was his plan for obeying the gospel. That is God's plan of how we take the gospel. It's one thing 
to believe it. It's another thing to obey it. And he laid out the plan to say, it's more than just saying, I believe that Jesus died and that he was buried and rose again. But I respond to that by repenting and being baptized and being filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to turn your attention. Hebrews chapter number 6. I want to turn your attention to kind of tell you a little bit about this series and where, where, we, where we came from and how we've got to the point we're at and moving forward. Hebrews chapter number 6. Turn there with me and let's look at verse number 1. Hebrews 6, verse number 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to, unto perfection. Not laying again. Now let me pause and tell you real quick. He's not saying don't preach foundational things. That's not the point of the verse. He's saying we have to mature beyond those places that we would have to go back and relay those foundations for people that don't believe it or walked away from it. What he's saying is, this is the doctrine, this is the truth, this is what we believe, this is the foundation, this is. So this is what he says in it, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go into perfection, not laying again the, doc the foundation of, and we did it last week, repentance from dead works and faith toward God. So that was last week's lesson. That is a foundational part of following after of apostolic doctrine, the, the, of repentance and turning to, turning to God in faith. Now I want you to look at verse number 2. It's going to go up on the screen. Now this is another foundational part of, of, be, of apostolic doctrine, is the next few words listed, of the doctrine of baptisms, plural. So what it's saying here in this verse of Scripture is that there are, there are multiple baptisms. There are two baptisms, and we'll get into that in a second. What he's saying is, yes, repentance from dead works, turning to God in faith, but that's not the only thing apostolics preach and teach. That's not the only thing the Bible teaches. There is a doctrine of baptisms. Plural. There's, there's two. I want you to notice that. Of laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. We'll go back to those things is what he's saying, if God permit. Let me tell you this. Apostolic doctrine teaches water and spirit baptisms. We teach water and spirit baptisms. And if you want to know why we teach water and spirit baptisms, it's this. Jesus taught water and spirit baptisms. John chapter number 3, Jesus said this. There was a man of the Pharisees, John chapter 3, verse number 1, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. No one can do the miracles except that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How in the world can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Let me make it a little more clear for you, Nicodemus. Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Of God, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. 
For the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst tell where it comes from or whither it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus taught that you had to be baptized of water and of Spirit. Jesus taught that. So, so this is what this is where I get to. We'll get to this point. Now we are, we are as apostolics. Somebody asked me last week. You got different titles and things, and I'm not going to go deep into theology, but you got different descriptions of how people describe their doctrine and their truth. This is what I, this is how we preach and teach. This is what I believe is what we believe and what we stand on. We are restorationists. We are people that want to restore back to the way things were done in Scripture. We are, there's some reformationists, there's some people that hold different ideas and things, we as apostolics, now pastor preached this last Sunday. I don't know if you caught it or not, but he preached this last Sunday. We are people that are modeling what happened in the Bible. Now there may be some different methods because we live in 2023, but our experiences and our pursuits are the same thing that they lived out in Scripture. So what the doctrine of baptisms, what the disciples taught, they taught what Jesus taught them to teach. And then if you read further and through the book of Acts, what Jesus taught, the disciples lived and practiced out. Now it's amazing. You're going to see here, and I'm not going to read all of them or show all of them, but I do have a handout that I'm happy to give you up here. I only have 50 copies, so you have to take one per family. But I, I, I'm going to show you three examples of water and spirit baptisms in the book of Acts. Three examples. Now, you can read the book of Acts, and you'll see five clear examples of water baptism in the name of Jesus, and you'll see five clear examples of spirit baptism. But here, I'm going to read to you three clear examples. Salvation is the same for people. Three clear examples of water and spirit baptism. So turn with me to the book of Acts. If you have a Bible with you, they're going to do their best to follow along on the screen, but let's look together. At, at, at several chapters in, in the book of Acts. Now I may fly through the back end of this, so, so please forgive me, but I do have a couple handouts up here. Acts chapter number 8. If you have the book of Acts open, turn to the chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 8. We're going to just start at 5 and then we'll go down. Verse number 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. There was a certain man called Simon, this is verse number 9, excuse me, verse 9, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was someone, was some great one. Verse 10, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And, they, and to him they had regard, because that a long time he bewitched them with sorceries. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself also believed when he was baptized, and he continued with Philip. Isn't it amazing that the sorcerer, his doctrine couldn't stand up to the doctrine of the apostles? And Simon himself believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Verse 14, and when the apostles which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them, 
that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 16, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Very clear in Scripture, there was a water baptism in their lives that took place. And they had not yet received the Spirit. There are churches and places that preach that when you come up out of the waters of baptism, then at that moment you receive the Spirit of God. That is not the experience that happened in the book of Acts. When they went down in the water and they came up, that Peter and, and John came preaching unto them that there was something else for them, that there was the Holy Ghost that they needed to, be, to, to receive in their life. So they needed to repent and be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Those water and spirit were two distinct things, and that's found in Acts chapter number 8. You can turn the page and go to Acts chapter number 10, the house of Cornelius. Verse number 44, at the end of Acts 10, and while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many came, because that the Gentiles, on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is another example of why you'll see sometimes that people will receive the Holy Ghost before they're baptized. It does happen, and there is the precedent of that in Scripture. For they heard them speak with tongues. So they knew they were filled with the Holy Ghost because they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then they answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them, watch, to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they prayed that he would tarry with them certain days. There is water baptism and there is spirit baptism, the doctrine of baptisms. Acts chapter number 19, another example in Scripture, verses 1 through 6. And it came to pass, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And said unto them, We have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. Acts 19, verse number 3. And they said unto them, Unto what were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came, and they spake with tongues, and they prophesied. They were baptized. Now, this is such a great point to make. These disciples, these people that were followed John, they came and they had a way, but it was revealed unto them that there was more. So when they had this encounter, right here in this moment, they had already, now this is so important, they had already been baptized a certain way. And it came to this point and he came upon them and they, he, the, the, in this passage they explained, Paul said, and, and, and John barely baptized this way, but... When they heard that doctrine, they were moved to the point to say, well, I need to be re-baptized the way you're teaching me. Listen, if you were baptized another way, where they didn't call on the name of the Lord Jesus as you were baptized, or they didn't immerse you in water fully, as was the pattern in the pages of Scripture, then let's get it right. And let's step in today to obey what the Scripture says. 
There's no shame in looking and saying, I'm thankful for where God has brought me from. But now I see something in the word of God that opens up my understanding. And I want to model and pattern myself after what's in the book of Acts, what Jesus taught and what the disciples practiced and what they taught. This is so important. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Today's the day to get it right. Now, let me talk to you for a moment about water baptism, and then we'll talk about spirit baptism. So I'll spend a couple minutes on each, and, and we'll go to the significance of it, and, and then I'll, we obviously, I, I mentioned earlier, we've got some handouts up here as well. Based on, based on Scripture, based on the Word of God, water baptism are these things. They are always performed in the Bible in the name of Jesus. All accounts of someone being baptized by disciples, all accounts of anyone being baptized were done in the name of Jesus. There's five accounts or five records of people being baptized in the name of Jesus. They're in Acts 2, they are in Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19, they're, they're listed in the book of Acts. Now some would say, well what about the scripture that says... About going and teaching the gospel, teaching them to baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost. Well, the, the, as that goes, there is a name to the Father, and there is a name to the Son, and there is a name to the Holy Ghost. And that te- what that is saying there is that when you get baptized, you need to get baptized in the name that aligns with all of those things. Now here's what John 5 and 43 says. The name of the Father is Jesus. Matthew 1 and 21 says that the name of the Son is Jesus. And John 14 and 26 says the Holy Ghost has come in the name of Jesus. So the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Ghost. That name, there is no name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. His name. So when we are baptized, we call on His name. And there's no contradiction in Scripture. There's no contradiction of that happening. When people were baptized in Acts 2, they called on the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts 8, as we read, it was the name of the Lord Jesus that they went under. In Acts 10 and 48, it was the name of the Lord. In Acts 19 and 5, it was the name of the Lord Jesus. When people were baptized in Scripture, the name of Jesus was called over them in baptism. Also, you'll find in baptism, the water baptism, that when people were baptized, they were immersed in water. Matthew, this is the practice, this is the method. Matthew 3 and 16, when Jesus was baptized, which by the way, let me make a point. If Jesus was baptized, what better example to have for you to be baptized if Jesus was baptized? Jesus was baptized and he went straightway out of the water. So he was in the water and came out. In Acts 8, the Bible says, here is water, and it says they come up out of the water. So there was no record in Scripture of somebody being sprinkled on. It was only they were immersed in the water and they came up. And that is apostolic doctrine. It also says in the New Testament that water baptism is a form of New Testament circumcision. In the Old Testament... To make a covenant between God and man, there was the act of circumcision. But the circumcision of the heart in the New Testament is the act of baptism, 
of moving forward and making that covenant with him. Colossians verse number, chapter number 2 verse 11. In whom you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And putting off the body of sins by the flesh of the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism. Now you remember a second ago we talked about how there was repentance. Which is turning from dead works and following in faith towards God. And then there was being buried, that was the act of, that, that's the act of baptism as you can see here. When you're buried with Christ, it's an act of baptism, obeying the gospel. Buried with him at baptism, wherein you're also risen with him through faith of the operation of God, who raised him from the dead. Another thing in baptism in Galatians says that when you are baptized, you put on Christ. Galatians 3 and 27, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. I could think of no better thing to put on your life than Jesus Christ and his name and his kingdom and his ways. We are buried with him by obeying the gospel. Romans 6, 3-5 says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus, were baptized unto his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That is like as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we should walk in newness of life. Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that baptism is for the remission of sins. Now, the question is often, when it comes to baptism, do I need to be baptized to be saved? Is that a question that comes? Well, let me give you two passages of Scripture that answer that very clearly. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 20. Which sometimes you were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Is it any more clear? The need for us to be baptized to be saved. The analogy was made to Noah that by the water that came, that flooded the earth, eight souls were saved by getting on the ark and obeying the command of God. And now here we fast forward, we see that water baptism, that teaches and shows us we need to be baptized to be saved. Washing away our sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Mark chapter number 16 says it this way, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Now, it's clear. If you've not been baptized in the name of Jesus, we have that opportunity for you today. There's robes, there's undergarments, there's a tank full of water. We're ready to do that. And we can make sure today, if you've not been baptized in the name of Jesus, if you were baptized in another formula or another way, if you're not sure, today is a great day to make sure that you're right because water baptism is needed. That's one of the baptisms of the doctrine of baptisms. The Spirit, we need to be filled with the Spirit. The infilling of the Holy Ghost or the baptism of the Spirit is part of the plan of salvation and according to the New Testament. Terms like baptized, filled, received, fell on, came upon, poured out, the gift on are used to describe in the book of Acts the gift of the Holy Ghost being poured out on lives. In Acts 
as it records five examples, accounts of people being baptized in Jesus' name. It also records five accounts of people receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So let me ask the question, it always gets asked, how does someone receive the Holy Ghost according to biblical example? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Isaiah 28 and 11, it says this, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. It's promised, it was prophesied, it was said, it's coming. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. And these signs, Mark chapter 16, 17, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they'll cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. Even before the experience happened in Acts chapter number 2, there is the promise that this is what's coming to God's people. Acts chapter number 2, it all hinges. I've heard Lee Stone King say it this way, Reverend Lee Stone King, and I think it is so true. The whole Bible hinges on Acts chapter number 2. It all hinges, it's the hinge point, it's the axis for which everything occurs. It all leads up to, to Jesus' die. he died, he was buried, he rose again. So what happens next in Acts chapter 2 is that hinge point. When the day of Pentecost, verse number 1, was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And there came a, suddenly there came a sound from heven as of a rushing mighty wind and appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. That happened in Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts chapter number 19. Now, God could have chosen other methods for the Holy Ghost to be a symbol that other people saw. Or he could have chosen anything. Why did he not just do it this way? Or why, why did he not just do this or that? Why did he choose tongues? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons for that. Number one, God is sovereign. He's God, <laughs> and he can do whatever he wants. God's sovereign. Isaiah 40 and 13 says that. I also know this according to Scripture. Whatever is in the heart, the mouth speaks. That's Matthew 12 and 34. So if God is going to fill someone with the Holy Ghost and it's going to flow out of somewhere, whatever is inside of them is going to come out through the avenue of the mouth. And so God chose that when a spirit fills somebody, it's going to flow through their mouth. Also, James 3 tells us that the chief, the tongue is the chief means of expression. The tongue is also, according to James 3, the tongue is the most difficult member to control. So listen, if God can take and control the tongue, then he can control everything else in your life. And he's showing you that he has that power and that authority to help govern every area of your life. If he can take the most corrupt, then he can take any other area of your life. Also, the tongue is an obvious external sign in every language. Tongues are undeniably connected to the Holy Ghost in Scripture, in the book of Acts. They are a work of God in us and through us. Now, let's, let me be very clear. We are not a church. Apostolic doctrine is not a practice that seeks tongues. We seek the Holy Ghost. We seek relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And the expectation is because of the example in Scripture that when someone is filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they will speak in tongues. But we are not a people that seek after tongues to just happen for somebody. We want them to be filled with the changing power of the Holy Ghost and the evidence according to the gospel, according to the word of God, the evidence is that that would flow out of them through tongues, that that would happen. Why does someone need the Holy Ghost? And again, I'm, I'm hurrying, but why does someone need the Holy Ghost? Luke said it this way, I send the promise of my Father upon you, tarry in the city of Jerusalem, until you're undued with power from on high. I don't know about you, but make it in this world, I need a power that comes from on high. I cannot just make it on my own, but I need a power and a strength that comes from on high. John in 7 says it this way, He that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Holy Spirit, which they believed on him they should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I need a living water. To flow in my life. John 14 says, I'll pray to the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. I need a comforter in these times in my life. Acts 1 and 8 says, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses both unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. I need the Holy Ghost in my life. Evidenced working the power of God, the living water, the comfort, the spirit of truth. I need that power operating in my life. So while I may have experienced something else when it comes to doctrine, apostolic doctrine teaches that there is a water and a spirit baptism. And those things can absolutely change your life. They are the gospel. And we must obey the gospel in order to walk in the power unto salvation. Titus chapter number 3 says this, and I'm closing, I went over time. Titus 3, 3 through 7. For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating on one another. Now, I have been there before. I was once that way. But verse number 4. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We need to be washed by the, we need to turn from sin through repentance. Being washed by the waters of baptism calling on the name of the Lord. And renewed in the power of the Holy Ghost. Which, verse number 6, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by his grace, that we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I want to obey God's plan and the pattern that's laid out in scripture for me. There is a doctrine of baptisms, water and spirit. And today, you can experience it. Stand with me. Now, I know the risk that you run when you teach a subject like this. There may be people with different experiences. And the only thing that I can say to you, and there's, there's not a debate that necessarily we're going to have. The only thing I can say to you is this. Try it. Open yourself up to it. Open your mind, your heart, your spirit. You're not discounting anything you've experienced already. 
but you're saying, I want everything that God has for me. And every word that he has, I want to follow and believe and obey it. Would you lift your hands with me as we close in prayer and ask the Lord to help bring revelation, understanding, obedience. Lord, we thank you for your kindness that you've showed to us. We thank you that your word makes it clear and that